Thanks, guys. Um, hey, one of the things that um, we're going to introduce today that I, it really matters uh, for you to know is, uh, gosh, too often um, I talk too much. And it's not as though the only thing God's doing, God forbid the only thing God is doing, is using somebody that talks about what they've learned in Scripture and want to pass on to you about this God that is amazing and incredible. Like, God forbid that's church, okay? Like, this, just to be really clear, we said it a lot, this is not church, okay? You know the old, dumb little kid's poem? Here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and see all the people. That's heresy, okay? Here's the church right here. And then this is a building, I, I guess. I, I, and if you have a steeple, it shows how old you are. But like, <laughs> there, is, there is a truth that like you are the church. And our language betrays us all the time. When we say things like, I'm going to church. You don't go to church. You are the church. You are God's plan A for redemption in this world through the work of Jesus Christ that would come out through you. You are the church. And, and, and this is what God is doing in the world. And so, so this is just really important to say this. Um, your stories and the things God is doing in your life, whether it's a, an encounter at a Starbucks or all the way in Mexico, or you'll hear from our Marseille team coming up in a bit, not today, but later. Like your stories and the things God is doing in your life are as important as any bit of teaching we do here on a Sunday morning. Do you believe that? Some of you are like, I, I don't know. Do you believe that? If that's true, then more of you should be talking, right? More of us should be talking. So we're going to introduce this thing. And, and, and it's, it's taken a long time because I had to get over myself. But, like, we, we love being able to put great things on video and do it perfect. And you know what? Done is better than perfect. And this means this. We want cell phone videos of you just sharing what happened. And if it's cool with you, we want to share that with each other. And we want to encourage each other with the things God is doing amongst our community. And so that means some of you, maybe you want to come up here on Sunday morning and share. Maybe some of you, it's just, hey, we'll throw it up on Instagram. And, and I think that the churches here in the United States should have the best Instagram story accounts going. Because we are the ones through whom the redemption is coming. And we should be telling stories of new creation and what God's doing in the world. And, and so for some of you, it doesn't mean there needs to be full resolution. We're getting Job here in a second. And his, his resolution is like, well, you know, it's brutal. But God's God. And maybe that's some of where you want to be at a point in time. Just share, like, I, I, I don't know what's going on, but I trust him. And you just share what's going on. And so listen, it doesn't always have to be these glorious stories, but like, I want to hear your stories. We want to hear your stories. So there's the email address, stories at iamreddoor.org. You send in a snippet of what it is, and we're going to have somebody here on our team call you, talk to you a little bit, kind of understand, curate the stories, and then just find the best ways to start sharing those things. But this is a community effort. So are you guys good with this? Is this a yes? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, man. All right. Let's share some stories, okay? And, and this is something I'm really looking forward to and wanting to hear. Also, before I jump into Job, because um, this is going to be fun, I, I wanted to share an update. We still got more funds coming in from Summit, so this is great. Our, our, we're now at 368, 545, 
$368,545, which, like, guys, I mean, it's like, so, like, look, the red's almost to the top. It's so cool. So, um, it, it, so anyway, it, some of you haven't realized that red's been moving the whole time. It's been like a little meter. But um, that, is, that is such an awesome thing. And so um, we are talking to some of the people and churches and partners we've had around us and asking them if they can help close this gap with us. But we wanted to remind you that it, we're going to leave it open. So if you're like, oh, I forgot, or, you know, I didn't want to, but now you know, God's like, tell me, go, that's fine. We're going to leave it open. We're not going to be talking about it and doing everything. But when we hit 400, we'll let you know if that's cool. So, um, but I just wanted to let you know, that's kind of cool that like, like another $8,000 came in last week and we're like, we're done. And people are like, no, I still want to give. I was like, mm-hmm. It's good. So we're going to leave that open. Please, please keep giving. Um, and so that, that's it. Job, let's talk Job. Let's pray. And then let's talk Job. Father, thank you for this life of a man who went through um, literally hell and suffered um, immensely. I can't even imagine. I don't want to imagine. And yet, there's something beautiful that comes through the suffering. And I pray today that we realize that and we step into trusting of you in a way that maybe we haven't before. All right. Thank you. And say your sons and daughters, and in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, um, so I just want to say, uh, last week, Ness was sharing how this book of Job blows up the preconceived notions we, we have. Like, their world was based on this idea of karma, essentially. Um, it was referred to at times as the retribution principle. Like, you get what you give. You're like, like if you put good in the world, you're going to get good back. If you put bad in the world, you're going to get good, bad back. And that was kind of how it worked. But like, just a survey of reality shows us that's not how life works. Um, some of you are like, man, I've done everything right, and yet my life is miserable. And these other people who do it all wrong, like, they're good. And that's essentially a lot of what's going on in Job is God coming in and just crushing that operating system of karma and saying, this isn't how it works. It's grace. And he has a way of just entering into our, God has a way of entering into our preconceived ideas and notions of the way the world works and blowing those up, right? And here's, here's what's really important in this. Systems, uh, systems are, are designed to give you the exact result you, you have. Like, like it's, it's perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. That's what, that's what a system is. System is something, you see it in a factory, you know. The widget factory is perfectly designed to create widgets. And, and we have systems in our lives that are perfectly designed to give us the results we're getting. And for a lot of us, we live in a, in a system and in a world where it has left us exhausted and frustrated and tired. And many of you, you feel like you're just failing at life. And you feel like if you succeed at work, you're failing at home. And if you succeed at home, you're failing at work. And you feel like you can't keep it up and you're just worn out. And, and to understand that what God wants to do is not just say to you like, hey, let's just tweak your system and add a little Jesus into it. He wants to blow the entire thing up. And he wants to say, like, stop making agreements and stop living by the system that your culture gives you. And that's what he does in the book of Job. And he just blows the whole system up and says, it's not this, this isn't the way to view the world. And we need to understand and see different ways of viewing the world. But this thing in Job, it is set off by one major question right at the beginning. And this is the tension through the whole book. Okay, and I want you to understand this. Job one nine. So at the very beginning, 
you have this figure, this shadowy figure. He's referred to as the accuser. Some Bibles will translate it Satan with a capital S. And it's, it's a little hard because like it's not a proper name there. It's actually in Hebrew, Hasatan, which is the Satan or the Satan or the deceiver or the accuser. And so depending on where you are, people see this as like, oh, that's Satan. And other people are like, no, this is like the accuser. But what we do know is at the beginning of Job, it's just a normal day in the divine oval office. And all what are called the, the Ben Elohim are coming. The sons of God are coming to present themselves to Elohim, capital E Elohim, capital G God, right? And so the little G God, the, the sons of God, they're coming to present themselves to God. And amongst them is this accuser. And as God's saying, hey, give me a report of where you've been and what's going on. And, and the accuser says, we've been roaming to and fro on the earth, going back and forth. And God goes, well, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. And this starts a conversation where the accuser goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I see Job. I saw Job. But the only reason why Job is Job is because you're good to him. You give him things. And so he gives you things this thing you have going on with Job is nothing but transactional. That, that, that's what happens. You give him good things, he gives you good things. Or he gives you good things, then you give him good things. And the question he asks, this accuser is, does Job fear God for no reason? Like, like what he's saying is like, it, 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 does he fear you for no reason at all? Isn't there a reason why Job fears you? Why he, and fear isn't just like a cow afraid. It means like serve, worship. Is, is there a reason Job serves and worships you? Is it not? Because you give him good things and you've promised him good things. And so he's going to do good things so he can get good things. That transactional karma-based system that we talked about last week. And this is the tension around the book of Job. Is this simply why Job is good and doing the things that Job does? And, and think about it. We have to ask ourselves this question because most relationships we're in, most things that we're in, it's transactional. Would any of you go to work if you didn't get a paycheck? No. You go to work, you endure the things because you get paid. Some of you are like, no, I love my job. I do it for free. Don't tell your boss that, right? But like you, you are in a transactional relationship. This is what happens anytime you go to the grocery store. It's a transaction. You give them money, they give you food. You go and you're around certain friends. And if, if we realize at times these things aren't true friendships, they're transactions. They make you feel good. And so you hang out and you spend time. You spend the time. You don't spend the money, you spend the time. And then there's a thing that comes back. It's based on a transaction. And what this accuser is saying is, there's no real relationship there. Job is simply in it for what he can get out of it. Pure and simple. The only reason people follow God is because God gives them things. And think about this. Is that how your relationship with God is based? Do you follow God? Do you move into this thing with God because of what you'll get back? Are you like, man, I don't really love this Christian thing, but like, I'll get heaven, so good retirement plan. So I'll, I'll put my dues in now. I'll get something out of it later. Right? Is it, is it that? Is that, do we see people doing that? We're like, you know, hey, I'm going to do some good things 
Because think about it. If you live in the system of you do good things, you'll get good things, helping the little old lady across the street, if you're just hoping to get good things out of it, you're not helping that little old lady. You're helping yourself. How many of us live in this thing with God and this church stuff and these things that we do of faith where maybe, just maybe, has your relationship been based out of a transaction? Is there, do you just serve God and love God and seek God for no reason? Or is it because of what you're going to get in return? And this is the thing that starts the book of Job. And the only way you're going to know, God says, in, in this discussion is, well, then take it away. And let's see. And so this scene at the beginning happens to set the stage of like, let's see why Job serves. And suffering, the book isn't about necessarily suffering. Suffering is the means by which Job's faith is tested. How is this going to work out? Why does he really serve you? Let's see. And so as it moves forward, Job loses everything. At the start of the book, he loses all his animals, which you have to understand, wealth was counted in terms of animals and possessions back then. So literally, Job loses all his wealth. I mean, it's just gone. And several like, it's just all his camels, all his donkeys, all his, you know, I don't know, roosters, chickens, goats, whatever they kept. But I'm just kidding. It says it in there. He loses everything. And yet, that not isn't the only thing. He loses all his children too. A servant rushes back and says, your son's house collapsed due to a, a wind that came out and all of your children are dead, your seven sons and your three daughters, all 10 of them gone. And so that's not, in addition to losing his children, it's also as though he lost his retirement because that's how retirement works. You relied as a family on the next generation to take care of you and to provide and to keep things going. And so Job is literally in one fell swoop. Now he's lost every bit of wealth he has. He's lost his servants. He's lost his children and he's lost his retirement. Gone. Do you guys remember like there was a scandal not, not many years ago with this guy named Bernie Madoff where Bernie swindled people out of like billions of dollars and people lost everything. And you had people committing suicide because of what had happened. They lost everything. This is literally what goes on. So the question is, how is Job going to respond? And we see in 121, it says this. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Like I came in with nothing, I'm going to leave with nothing. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Job responds with blessing God. And so then, the, then the, it, it continues. And there's the scene again, and, and it's like, okay, you, go ahead. You can have it. Job himself now, not just his wealth, not just his family, at himself. And so Job then gets boils, which you need to be under, this needs to be understood. Boils weren't just like any old thing to happen. In, in um, Deuteronomy 28, boils were seen as a curse from God. So not only does Job have like boils, which he's taking a pot shard and scraping them. Can you imagine that? Like he's, he's just in misery and in pain and in physical torment. But not only that, everybody sees it as a curse from God. And in addition to that, because you have the skin disease, you have to be separated and segregated from the community. So now he's alone. 
And he's on his own. So he's moved from having wealth and children and family and friends and relationships to where all of that's gone. And living alone, and to top it all off, this is what his wife comes and says to him. And his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You want to hear that from your wife? That's a good Friday morning. You know, like, what? <laughs> are you going to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what she's saying to him. So now he's lost, in, in addition to all this, he loses his wife. It was just like, just die. You're, cur- you're obviously cursed by God, so just curse God and die. And so look what Job does. Job does curse something, but it's not God. In Job 3, I wanted to read this to you. I'm going to read a chunk of this, okay? It says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said a man is conceived... Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify. He's like just consume. And then look at verse 11. Why did I not die at birth and come out from the womb and expire? This is where he's at. He's like, I wish I wasn't even born. This is so, this is so bad to have gained all this, to have been here, and now to suffer and do this. I wish I was never even alive. And then he says this, why, verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig, and, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. In verse 26, he goes, I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest but only trouble comes. Have you been there? Are you there? We're like, you're like, I wish I could just die because then all of this would just stop and I wouldn't have to worry about that. I mean, this is like a man on the verge of suicide, right? Like this is a man who is like feeling every bit of, of the feels and the pain and the curse and all of it is setting in. And we can all take a certain amount, but once you get past that certain amount, it's like, I'm done, I'm done. And he had based his life on these things and all the things he based his life on just fail him and he's done. And so I think we get to this point where we just you read these words of Job, and if you've ever been in suffering, you feel this, and you know this feeling. And if you haven't, it'll come. Because all of us, you're either in the midst of suffering, or you are on your way in it, or you're coming out of it. But there is a truth that was revealed to us way back when we watched The Princess Bride back in the 80s. When the king said, life is pain, right? It is, it's painful. And so Job starts to ask the question every single one of us asks when we're faced with pain and suffering and we don't understand. And so Job 23, I just want you to see this. Just a quick overview of the book and kind of what goes on, right? to 
and read one to nine. So, Job, I don't know if your your uh, your sections have titles. Mine says, "Where is God?" And that's what Job's wanting to know. Job answered and said, "Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him, that I might come even to His seat." I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. What is he doing? He's saying, if I need to find God, where is he? Because I need to know why this is happening. And I'm going to put my complaint in front of him. Why is this going on? I lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. Because here, there's an upright man, there an upright man could argue with him and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. And he's, he's going, Job is going like, look, I'm innocent. I have done nothing wrong. I made all the sacrifices and I made all the sacrifices for my kids in case they forgot something. And yet everything's been ripped away from me. And he wants to have this moment where he confronts God and talks to God and says, why have you done this? Because I'm innocent. But what is he saying? He's going, but I can't find God anywhere. He's nowhere. There's no, there's no God to contend with. There's no, there's no one I can take this question to. And I want to know why. He wants answers from God. And there's nothing but silence. Now that's a place. If you've been over 30, you've been there. And if you've actually even just done any considering of what goes on in the pain of this world, and you take a look around, you're there where you're like, I want to know why, God. And we think, well, if I was God, I would never let a child die. If I was God, I would not let cancer just wreak havoc like it does. If I was God, I wouldn't let an earthquake set off a tsunami to kill 250,000 people in one day. If I was God, I wouldn't let people just walk into school buildings and shoot people up. And so we have this thing of like, God, we need to do business here. Because this isn't how it should work. If I was you, I can clearly see, like, I would not operate this world here. And that's led some people to go, see, that's why we can know there's no God. Because you can clearly see, if you were God, nothing like this would happen. No children would be abused. No, no, no people would be born with horrible defects. There, there would be this, this wholeness and goodness to life. And we want him to answer and we want to ask why. And that's exactly where Job is, is going. Why, why, why? Now here's the amazing thing about the book of Job. That question is never answered. It's not. Not once. If you come to this book pushing it for the answer of why do people suffer, you won't get the answer. It's not there. It doesn't even try to answer the question. In fact, what it does by not answering the question is basically to go, 
you're not going to get an answer. This answer isn't going to come. There is never an answer into the book to why Job suffers. And get this, you as the reader know more about Job in this story than even Job knows. I don't know if you catch this or not, but that whole divine oval office scene in chapters one and two, Job is never privy to that information. Never once does he get told, hey, here's what's happening. Not at all. He doesn't even get an inkling as to why. And God comes to him and they do have a discussion, but in that discussion, he's never told why. And here's the deal. There's a lot of things in life that you too will never know the answer why to. You'll never get an answer of why. Doesn't mean we don't ask the question. We desperately want meaning and purpose behind the things we're going through, and we ask why. Why does this have to happen? Why do people have to die? Why does this have to happen to my friend? Why does this have to happen to me? Why, 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 why? And there is no answer. And it seems as though it's purposeless, that we don't know, but that's, that's not the case. But we want to fill it with stuff, and so we invent reasons for why. And so this whole book of Job, starting in basically in chapter 4 on, there's this back and forth between Job and four friends. And these friends are filling in and trying to fill in explanations as to why. And God comes at the very end of the book of Job and says to at least three of the friends, Y'all were just wrong. You gave dumb answers to a really hard question. Basically, loosely translated from the Hebrew, okay? But you, you wanted to simplify this down to this little thing, and you were wrong. Go repent. <laughs> this is the problem when we start to interject and start to think for God, and we go, well, if I was God, I would do this, and if I was God, I would do that. See, here's the problem. You can't know what it's like to be God. All you can do is project more power and more time and more knowledge onto you. That's all you can conceive of. You're a human. You can only think like a human being. And so when you say, I'm God, all you're saying is, if I was a more powerful human being, God is not a human. He's not. You don't know what's in his mind, and I don't know what's in his mind. And what you can know is that this question of why doesn't get answered. And maybe one day there will be an answer to why this beautiful creation is marred with such horrid evil. And why we have to go through the most unbelievable things. I don't know if we'll even then get an answer. Just because you end up in heaven with God or him here with you on earth. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have all knowledge. It doesn't mean all the questions are then answered. I don't know, maybe there's like a Q&A room where you just go and you get in line and you got eternity. So you're like, oh, wait. You know, I don't know. Take a ticket, you know. I, you go sit down and you can ask all your questions. And certainly I have a ton of questions when it comes to this that I would love to ask. But one thing I know is never once is the question why answered. And this book invites us to honestly bring our pain and our grief to God. I mean, Job is just vulnerable and raw. But what 
What God doesn't want is us to simplify and create dumb reasons for why and invent them on our own. He wants us to come and bring these questions of we have to him and what we're going through, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, the wrong, why is the wrong question? And the question that we should be asking is not this big question of why. The question we should be asking is what? What? What is going on here? You see, because this book of Job, it is not a book of answers, but it's going to call on us to trust him because there aren't answers. This whole book is a book about trust. And trusting is the response to God when we don't know what's going on. And you and I were called to trust. The, the, the word in the Bible that's used for this idea of trust is the word faith. It, it's called that you have a faith. The, the irony is that there's so many people that have a faith but have no trust. And so really they don't have faith. They, they come to church, they do this stuff, but they don't really trust God and you don't really trust him. Because the second things go wrong, you demand an answer and want to know why. See, see, trust is a different thing. And trust, Martin Luther defined trust as this, just this awesome quote I love about that. He says, faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that would risk, risk death a thousand times trusting in it. A living, bold trust in God's grace. That he's there. That the God of the universe will do what is right, that he has me, that it is not this system where it's a transaction. I give you something, you give me something. You give me something, I give you something. That he's not inviting you to do a deal because God doesn't barter. God doesn't make deals. He invites us into something so much better. You know what it is? It's a relationship. See, the only, the only true place where you don't have a transaction is a real, true relationship. No mom is looking at her daughter going, if you stop crying, I'll love you right now. Now, there may be some times where they feel like that. Like, if you don't stop crying, I don't know. But listen, real motherhood is, is risking death a thousand times because of that baby that is so desperately loved. That they would give their life over and over and over and over for that child, no matter where that child runs off to. Every single parent in this room, you know it in your bones. You would do anything for your children. And what you want from them is not just a transaction and not simple obedience. You're not, none of you as parents are sitting there going, you know what, if you just obey, if you just obey, we'll be, we'll be good. If you just obeyed, that's all I ask for. I don't need anything else. I just need your obedience. Simple compliance is all we need in this house for things to go well. That's not a home. 
That's a workplace. That's all that is. And you as kids, you're not sitting there going, well, if you would just be good, mom, and just, just do right stuff. I don't, I don't care what, what you do for me or how we live and what we do together. or If you take care of me or if you show me effect, I don't care. Just, just be good. No. You want a relationship. And here's the thing about the book of Job is that the whole thing is bringing you through this process as everything is stripped away from Job. And think about it. He can't offer sacrifices anymore. Every one of his animals are dead. He can't go serve the poor. He's off alone with boils on his body. He can't give anything to God. He can't take care of his kids. He can't pray for his kids. They're all dead. What does Job have to offer to God at this point? Nothing. He can't even pretend as though he has something to offer to God. All Job can do at this moment is trust. And he's brought down to this place of trust where God goes, look, are we still here? Because all I want as a father is for you to trust me. Guys, God has never been after your simple compliance. He's been after you. And that means trust. It means a relationship. It means where you start to go, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why, but I trust you. And he's bringing us into that place of absolute and utter trust. Now see, when you ask why, what you're asking for is all the causes, all the stuff in the history. And you figure out, if I could figure out something in the history that makes sense of this, we can go for it. And really, when we start to ask the question, instead of why, we just go, okay, I trust you. Now you can start to ask what. And what is, what are you doing in me right now in this? What are you doing in me? See, that implies trust. It implies understanding something. And you start asking, what are you doing in me? And then the other question, the other side of this is, what are you doing through me? What, what is this that you want to do in this world and how you're going to take all of this and do something incredible with it? And so there's this great text. It's Romans 8. And um, Paul is talking about suffering, and he's talking about the things we go through. In verse 18, Paul is going to kind of unpack this idea of what it means to trust God in the midst of suffering. And understanding that we're never going to know why, but we can start to look forward with what. And looking into the future. See, what brings us into the future? It starts to make us think through things and consider things about what's going to happen. What's coming because of this? It's the same thing that happened when Jesus encountered the man born blind. Do you remember the story? The guy's born blind, and the disciples are walking up to this guy that's been, he was blind at birth. And they're like, got it. This is a question we've been wanting to know the answer to forever, Jesus. And now you're here, and we can ask you the question, who sinned? This man or his parents? Like, why was he born blind? Was it this man's sin or his parents' sin? 
We, we got to know. We, we just got to know. I mean, could you imagine if you're the blind guy sitting there? They're just sitting there talking about who sinned, my mom and dad or me. That's why I'm blind. Okay, thanks, guys. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't say, he doesn't answer why. He doesn't go, oh, it was clearly this man or it was his parents. He doesn't say that. He says, he just skirts past the why question. doesn't even answer the why question. He goes, here's the deal. I want you to know what's going to happen is that the Son of Man is going to be glorified through this. And I'm going to take this man's suffering and turn it into something incredible. And then he takes mud to make the matters almost worse and rubs it in the guy's eyes, spits in it a little bit, makes some mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, tells him, go and wash and you'll see again. And I think what he was doing was he's taking this blind man and showing him that like, hey, yes, everything's corrupted and everything's unclean and wrong and dirty, but go and wash and be made clean. And I want you to know you can see. And the man is made, given sight. And Jesus receives this incredible glory. And here's, here's what Paul is starting to point to then at Romans 8. He says, look, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And what Paul's saying is, I'm not looking to the past and asking questions of why am I going through all this? That to figure out, did did I do something wrong when I was 17? And that's what's making this thing happen now. And so God's just trying to get paybacks for something. God's going, no, trust me. I am working something in you and in this world that is going to be unbelievable. And Paul, who's had a glimpse of it, is going, look, I know that everything we're going through right now is not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed, not just, not just outside of us, but in us. He's going to do something in you and through you that is beautiful. And he's going to take this suffering and do something incredible with it and say, look what I do. And in that, God is going to receive some amazing glory. When an entire world watches how God takes this broken thing and he makes it new again. As Chris comes up and we wrap it up, Paul ends by saying this in 24, for in this hope, In this hope, future, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Which was Paul's way of saying, like, what we live out of right now is hope. That's it. We have hope. That's all we have is hope. Hope that the death and resurrection of Jesus is going to work itself out for all of creation. And so what we know when we come to this story of Christianity is that it comes to its biggest point in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where the suffering of the world would have met head on. And Jesus came and and took evil on and yet it did not have the last word he was resurrected made new again and a glimpse of the future was brought right there into that present 
to say, look, this is our hope. That no matter what this world does, no matter what evil is wrought, God is going to overcome it through the cross and the resurrection. That he will confront evil head on and invite you and I to step into the life that he is going to offer and bring. But listen, as long as we're stuck on this question of why, we don't get the opportunity to move and ask what. What are you doing in me and what are you doing through me in this moment? He wants to invite you into that, to change the question. And to answer, do you serve God for no reason? And when you're in a relationship, there is no transaction. There is no reason. It's just you and him. In an incredible relationship where a father loves his son and his daughter, and the daughter and the son, they love their father in return. And it's not based in a transaction. It's based simply in relationship. That you want him and you trust that he wants you. And so this morning, I just want to invite you out of quote unquote faith and into a raw, bold, living trust. So confident that you would risk death a thousand times pursuing and trusting his pursuit of you. I wanna invite you to trust him. Not a place where you can't bring questions to him and be raw and vulnerable with him. The story of Job shows us that that is very real and very accepted. And God invites Job's honesty with him. But a place of absolute and vulnerable trust where you start to bring that before him and just say, look, I don't get all this. I don't understand it all. And you know what? I don't need to understand it all. I just need you. And I trust that you have come to pursue me. And I trust that when the day is done and the battle is over, you'll win. And these things will be set right for now, God, I just simply hope. And so this morning, maybe you have always grown up around faith and things of faith. And it was just another religious word for you, faith. And today, maybe you step into trust. And you can just let your defenses down. And trust that his grace is so much bigger and so much better than anything we've invented. And trust that he doesn't want a transaction with you. He wants you. So if you'd stand with me. I'd just like to invite you to this place of communion. A place where we're reminded God laid it out all on the line. That he was the one who moved first, not you that he was the one who came into this world and came for you. That he wants to step into every one of the messes 
If he can do it at a cosmic level, certainly he does it at a personal level for every one of us. And this thing is coming and taking and breaking the cracker and dipping into the cup and being reminded of the death of Jesus and his pursuit of us. And this way of saying, look, you can trust me. You can trust me. I've come for you. And I'm the lover of your soul and the lover of you. Father, thank you that you've given us this incredible message of grace. I pray today that people would trust in that and in you and seeking you out. It's in your son's name. Amen. Communion's open.